Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Jacob Albrock. Tommy Kester, this is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. All right, welcome in, everybody. It is another Sports Daily, and, you know, we've got a few things to talk about today. Jacob Albrocht here with Tommy Caster, Chad Chambers in producing for us. That KFH hotline is wide open for you today. Well, for a little bit anyway, 869-1240, because we'll have joining us on it our betting insider, Chelsea Messenger, coming up here a little bit later in this hour. Our K-State insider, Tim Fitzgerald, joins us uh, at the top of the next hour not a good day for the old head coaches. Uh, Bill Belichick, done in New England. Nick Saban, done at Alabama. Pete Carroll, done at Seattle. If we had a day where we came in and could legitimately say that, that it all happened in the same day, you'd have called us insane. But that's what happened yesterday and into the overnight. The most recent Bill Belichick and uh, Robert Kraft agreeing that he'll be done in New England. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I think he gets hired in Atlanta. Makes sense, uh, but that's happening. Nick Saban is done. Pete Carroll is done. KU loses last night in what I would like to describe as a turd sandwich. Uh, just a just a terrible game for the for the Jayhawks last night. Tommy, how are you this morning? I'm exhausted. There's a lot to get to today, and uh, man, just a, like you mentioned, a ton of wild and crazy coaching changes. Uh, the Nick Saban one came out of nowhere. I know the Pete Carroll one kind of yeah. did too a little bit. We've speculated about Belichick for a while, and a lot of people have. But um, just within a 24-hour span, at one point we were talking Mike Vrabel being done in Tennessee, and now all of a sudden that's kicked to the curb, and we've got yeah. these these other changes <laughs> to like talk about. I, 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 <laughs> Nick Saban's is by far, I think, the most worrisome for the fan base. Like, I don't think it's close with and it's not because I think he's that much better than Carroll or Belichick it's that Alabama's I mean like Alabama fans are going to be losing their minds for yep. a little while and Alabama and that, one, that is Nick Saban and Nick Saban is Alabama yeah. that's what I mean and I know Belichick at, from at a different level is the same kind of way with New England but you know I think people had expected something to happen with Belichick this season and it had been yeah, talked it's a about softer forever. landing right for right? sure we've been talking about yeah. it for a long time the Saban it, deal just came out of nowhere nowhere I uh, absolutely nowhere 
just wild, wild stuff. Um, how quickly it happened, you know, it, it just was, it just was wild that it came down to that, and it shouldn't surprise us, I suppose. And maybe he deserves credit. Saban does for keeping things so close to the best. I just has never seemed like. <laughs> It has never seemed like that was even a remote possibility, and now we're at a fever pitch on replacing Nick Saban. Good luck to whoever the next guy is. You know, it was it was rough before Saban to some degree. Uh, Mike Shula never finished better than third at Alabama. Um, Dennis Francione, I, didn't he get into some trouble or something in a good season that he had? I mean, they haven't been bad. But they weren't certainly what they are now. Nobody was. They they've got work to do, and and I'll say I said this a ton yesterday. Like you hate to be the guy that follows Saban. You want to be the guy that follows the guy that follows Saban. I don't know what kind of interest they're going to have. All the uh, normal, very uh, predictable cast of characters has been thrown out there with this Tommy. I would just caution everybody: this Nick Saban had. Absolutely no ties to Alabama in his coaching career before he was hired at Alabama. Like we're all looking at this, like oh, they got to get you know what guy that's been connected to the program yeah. will they hire here? And I'm like, no, that's not what Alabama should do at all. Alabama hired Nick Saban with absolutely, I mean, nothing. Not I, I look like not even an assistant coaching position at any point in his long career did he have anything to do with Alabama. We we overthink this sometimes. Like Alabama doesn't need to go hire an Alabama person. They just need to go hire whoever they think is the best. Not only that, Saban, if you recall, was coming off a mediocre at best tenure with the Miami Dolphins before right. he went to Alabama. He wasn't lighting the world on fire in the NFL. He had done really well at LSU. He had done well at Michigan and at State. Michigan State. You know, he had yeah. done well in his college career, but he went to the NFL like a lot of college coaches do. And it didn't really work particularly well. He was there for two seasons. He finished under 500 in his tenure as the Dolphins head coach. And then he goes to Alabama, who was not a powerhouse at the time. It was Alabama football. That brand was always there. But like you mentioned, they weren't world beaters. They weren't dominant at that time and hadn't been, uh, you know, in, in forever. I mean, I, you probably have to go all the way back to Bear Bryant, you know, the last time that that program was a dominant force year in and year out in college football. So Saban goes there, and it wasn't the – I'll just say this. Alabama, when, when Saban was hired, was not the high-profile Alabama that it is today. And he turned it into that. And so, you know, that was um, a great hire, obviously, in retrospect by Alabama to bring in Saban. But it probably – and I don't, I don't remember it when it happened. I don't remember if, if that hire was met po- positively by the fan base – uh, or if they were thinking, well, you know, he was a mediocre NFL coach and here he is coaching Alabama. I don't exactly remember how that all played out. But what I do know is I agree with you. They've got to go and find the best person for the job, not necessarily somebody that is tied to Alabama. There have been a, a you know, 
names that have been thrown out already. Lane Kiffin is always going to be a guy that's connected with a lot of open jobs, and he has experience with Alabama. I don't think he's the best bet. I, I think you go after Dan Lanning. I think Dan Lanning in Oregon is the guy. He's it sounds like he might be the top target. He's young. He is hungry. Uh, he's aggressive. He's energetic. He's got all those things, and he's turned Oregon into a perennial contender. So I do think that that would be a really good bet for Alabama, but I know there are going to be other names that are out there too. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I think one of the most underrated things Saban has done is on the surface or from what we can tell run such a tight, clean program. Like Alabama players are never in trouble. Like they don't have it doesn't ever seem like they have issues off the field. And I think that's part of it. I think I think Alabama will be able to still recruit at a high level. But, man, that just isn't everything anymore. And now with the transfer portal and the NIL and all of these things, I, I do think one of the biggest reasons that Saban had so much success, if not the biggest reason, is because he always had better players. Always had better players. I think his stranglehold on that has slipped mightily in the last few years. And so I, I don't and I don't know that whoever I don't think that will exist anywhere in college football where somebody will be able to have just flat better players all the time, two and three deep like Alabama has had in the Saban run. So that's going to make it hard for whoever follows him anyway. I do firmly believe that the transfer portal and the NIL are evening the college football field more than it ever has been before. So that will make it difficult. So to me, I do think Alabama, with success, inherently will generally already have a leg up in the recruiting world. I'm far more concerned with the other side of it for Saban, which is like legendary organizational skills and and a strategist in-game and actual football coach that a lot of really good football coaches, including Bill Belichick, say is the best coach. Coach, like just a coach that they've ever seen. So... You know, like, just look at it. Like, if you want a big recruiting splash guy, go. you know, you can go hire Jimbo Fisher, right? There, there are a lot of guys who have done that and failed. You can go hire Les Miles. Or you can go find the best football coach. And so that's why I would probably look at, like, DeBoer at Washington. Um, you know, Sarkeesian, to me, is the name that jumped right to my head for the obvious reasons. But I don't think Texas don't you will think let he's him better go. at you know better off staying at Texas as they enter the SEC. Yes, I do. I think he's got. You but know, I, and I think Texas is going to they're going to give him a boatload of money. Yeah. I, again, I don't I don't necessarily think a nothing is a lateral move probably to Alabama, but Texas is as close to a lateral move as you'll see, and I don't think it's a smart time to make a lateral move. I, I think that you're you're likelier to see. I don't think you're going to see another NFL guy like we did. I mean, people have listed D'Amico Ryans, which I do think actually makes a lot of sense. But I, I think you'll probably, like if I had to, and I haven't looked at the odds, if I had to bet, I would bet DeBoer by the time this process plays itself out. Um, because I don't think splash recruiting is the biggest part of this anymore. It used to be. It's why Saban has all the national titles that he has. They flat had better players than everybody else. That's changing. 
And so, like, you better get somebody that can coach. Let K-State and KU be a much smaller example right now. Sometimes you just got to go get a great coach and let the rest take care of itself. And and you have to, like, it's got to have, you talked about energy. Who's got the energy to live in this college football world right now? Certainly Nick Saban did not. I think he made that pretty clear. This probably shouldn't surprise us as much as it did because he was clearly fed up with everything now, as many of the older coaches across all college sports have been in the past few years. So they got to go find the best coach, not the best recruiter, not the best ties to Alabama, not what the fan base wants. Who cares about all of that? First and foremost, you've got to go find the best coach who can line it up and go toe-to-toe, you know, eight to, you know, maybe six to eight times a year against really, really good football teams, knowing that you can't lose more than probably two, maybe three of those if you want to get into the playoff. Forget all the other stuff. You have got to have somebody that can coach or it won't work anymore. That's what Saban did better than anybody else. I And... For a little while, he recruited better than anybody else. That changed, though. What What are we now, four years into that? That's not the case anymore. And he still found a way to win the SEC this year, right? I, I think this was, honestly, I didn't think Alabama was that good. I think this was one of his better coaching years. Considering what we saw from that team earlier in the year to where they ended up, that was a pretty impressive coaching job. Yeah, I'm going to give you a dark horse candidate for the job that I'm not sure a lot of people are focused on because the names like Kiffin and Lanning and DeBoer are out there. How about Mike Norvell from Florida State? I mean, he did a phenomenal job coaching that team this season. Of course, they were undefeated until their bowl game, and they lost Jordan Travis and all of that. But think about the nature of the way things are with Florida State and the ACC and the way that they got passed over in the CFP and Norvell was rightfully furious about all of that. Can you imagine if he leaves that program and he goes to Alabama, the kind of success that he could have at Bama with the players and the resources and all of that in the SEC? I mean, I think that would be a great hire for Alabama as well. You know, I'm looking at more like a a, a younger Norvell is fairly young. Um, I've heard like Dabo Sweeney might be interested. He's an Alabama native. Well, he'll he be plays interested, for the Crimson Tide. But I don't I'm think they sure. want him anymore. I'm not sure that's the best, you know, decision either. I would go for like a Lanning or a Mike Norvell type guy. Yeah, I, I think, look, I, Dan Lanning, is his resume is, is awesome, right? Norvell is... I've seen Norvell mentioned, and Norvell does, you know, make some sense. Lanning is just familiar with the territory, right, with the time he spent at Georgia. He's clearly been able to have the success at Oregon. Uh, they've, you know, in in his two years, they won double-digit games. So I get the appeal to Lanning. He's not an Alabama guy. I think when you, like, Lanning makes a ton of sense. But again, you're going to the Big Ten, do you want to be – that's that's the other part of this. I know it's Alabama, but, man, these guys have got to know what you're following here. By the way, I didn't realize this. Did you know Dan Lanning's a Kansas City guy? I didn't know that. Yeah, I had um, no idea. Mike Norvell, maybe, but I don't think he has enough wins. Even at Florida State, like, it, it was a slow build there. So that would be a bold hire, I think, because the fans probably wouldn't like it. But you really do, like – Alabama has to lean into all of these resources and relationships that they've built over the years, have conversations with their own, you know, like with all the people and just like who, and and Nick Saban 
too, by the way. Like who who do you watch and observe and think is is the guy? And then you go there and you know, maybe that person is tied to the university, but again, who cares if they are? Like that is not like that's and that's been the start of every list you'll see. It's like, oh, who's got ties to Alabama that they could hire? That's why Dabo's on that list. Well, right, and and I think five years ago Dabo would have been, but Dabo's not embraced what's happening in college football. Yeah. He's been like this the, the poster boy for the resistance. And if I'm hiring at that, I'm not, I'm not on board with that. Like, nope, sorry, you better get on board. You may not like it, but you better embrace it. And he just has not, uh, in in you know in that way. But you know, maybe they go with Dabo anyway. I don't know. We'll see. He's a good coach. He's a great coach. Um, I, I just it'll be curious. And what else is surprising? And, and I knew this would happen this morning. Bill Belichick is the most topical of these massive three coaches on the books. But I just think the the ripple effect of Nick Saban is so much larger. And it speaks to how hard it is to win in the NFL. I'm not saying what he did at Alabama is more impressive than Bill Belichick. I think it's probably right on par. Uh, Pete Carroll is close behind, honestly. But the after effects of it, are so monumental to the sport, right? Like Belichick, and maybe it's because Brady already left, and we and he called it a soft landing earlier. Maybe if if you know Belichick went out on top right when Brady left, we would be this stunned again and wonder about the. But the NFL doesn't work that way. College football kind of does. We see these dynasties come and go all the time. Is it the end of the Alabama dynasty? I'm going to tell you, Alabama fans are going to be beside themselves talk to him like it's always like i ah, we got saban we'll be fine like nothing's ever nothing ever concerns we got saban we'll be fine you don't got saban anymore and you can look across the country everywhere ask ask georgia how long it took to get back on top texas might be getting there maybe oklahoma look what's happened to them michigan how long did it take michigan yeah, to get it right a long time you know it and and these are you know, programs that have had their own little dynasties that not not like Alabama's. No, I mean, that in the modern era, it's just incredible what Nick Saban did. But it's not like it, it's not this foregone. Like once it's gone, it's kind of gone a little bit to some degree. In the NFL, it's always cyclical. But th- that that one yesterday, the Saban one uh, over Belichick, over Pete Carroll, like those, you know, well, Carroll surprised me. Belichick did not. But just the shock factor of Nick Saban not being at Alabama is, I I think it's way, way bigger. You know what's crazy about all three of these is that they've all had a tremendous amount of success in different ways. And that's what makes it so monumental. Saban, one of, if not the greatest college football coaches of all time. Belichick, one of, if not the greatest NFL head coaches of all time. Pete Carroll is rare because he had success in both college and the NFL. You know, and so you can point at him and the amount of success that he had uh, at USC and then the amount of success he had with the Seahawks and, you know, all these different things that he's done. Uh, I mean, he, he did it at both places. And so you've got coaches that all three of them are legendary, but they're all legendary for different reasons. It's it's wild. I, I made the joke yesterday. How about this? You get those three guys together. You have a rival Manning cast program. Oh man. But but it airs like next day on PBS right after the early bird special, <laughs> right? Like he, he five o'clock on a Tuesday, 
you know, those guys in, in you know, just kind of sitting around playing dominoes or whatever. Like, no, that, by the way, yeah. I would never watch. That would be a terrible. I, those I, I floated that out there as a joke. And I think some people thought it was like, oh, yeah, you should totally do that. I'm like, that would be the most boring thing you've ever watched hey, in your life. Pete Carroll would have a lot of fun, though, doing it. The other two, probably not so yeah. much. Hey, the other thought that I had is all this was going down is if you're a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs, or if you're a fan of Kansas basketball, let this be a reminder to you that yeah. coaching tenures <laughs> don't last forever. And enjoy it and embrace it and and acknowledge what you have in Andy Reid and in Bill Self because we're talking about coaches that have been at their respective teams for a long time and it doesn't last forever. Count your blessings that you've got it and don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. Uh, it, yep. That's that's right. We'll get into KU in just a little bit. Uh, we'll, right now, though, we're going to switch over. We're going to talk some bets in the NFL this weekend, Super Wild Card Weekend. We'll bring in our pal Chelsea Messenger. She'll help us uh, with some of the trends and maybe some plays over the weekend. We will get into KU's loss at UCF. Uh, we will get to our K-State insider, Tim Fitzgerald. Curious for his take, you know, a college football scribe like that and his take on Saban and all of this. We'll do it all as we make our way through this Thursday on Sports Daily. On the line is the host of the Daily Tip and Odyssey Sports Betting Insider, Chelsea Messenger. Insider calls are presented by BetMGM. Go check out all of the latest lines today on the BetMGM app. Also, be sure to check out the Daily Tip podcast for more of Chelsea Messenger analysis. Just search BetMGM wherever you find your podcasts. All right, we do welcome in Chelsea Messenger for NFL Wild Card Weekend. Glad to be here. Jake Walbrock, Tommy Caster. It is Sports Daily. Chelsea, how are you? Good morning. Slow news week, huh? Yeah, nothing to talk about. We'll uh, we'll just we'll try to fill time here with nothing going on in the sports world. Uh, we do have an NFL wild six games, six playoff games. This is this feels like a pretty fun betting weekend. I I, I love the NFL playoffs. I think the first two rounds are great. I think you know this one. You know I don't I don't know. Are you are we feeling any upsets, Chelsea? Like any outright you know like money line upset winners here? This it, it feels like we're going to get one or two of those. It feels like the one that I like the most is going to be the public underdog that everybody is banking on. And that's going to be the L.A. Rams. It feels like everybody's on that, and that makes me a little nervous because usually when the public is all over an underdog, usually does not go well for said underdog. But if you look at that game against the Rams and the Lions, it's a short spread, Lions land three at home. A team that it feels like all the pressure is on Detroit here. A team that does not have a playoff win since 1992. Now they finally have a home playoff game here uh, where they're the higher-seeded team. But the Rams are going to be a tough opponent here, and I think everybody's seeing this. They've got a veteran quarterback in Matt Stafford who's been there, done that before, and a Lions defense that's been pretty susceptible to opposing quarterbacks. So Matt Stafford and company, I feel like they're going to have their way with this defense. I do like them uh, getting the three here against the Lions. All right, Chelsea. Uh, so if we, I, I want to look at the Chiefs game here for a minute. I, I love the Chiefs. I know it's moved now. It start, I think it opened at three and a half to four and a half. 
I love the Chiefs in this one. I, I feel like I'm maybe overconfident, though. But it is lining up with the weather and the injuries and what the Chiefs now seem to be committed to doing stylistically that this is a really good spot for Kansas City. How's it looking as a bet? It feels like every single factor and trend is pointing towards Kansas City. You said it. It feels like it's really hard to make a case for a Dolphins team that's really banged up. I think four of their starting linebackers are now out for the season. They've had to go out and sign new defensive players. They're that banged up. Then it's a warm weather team coming to a cold weather climate. Uh, you know, it's not supposed to be very warm in Kansas City. I'm sure you guys have, you know, dove into that full uh, fledged, you know, going into this weekend. And here's the stat that I think might be relevant in this game and across the board. Quarterbacks making their first playoff start against quarterbacks who have playoff experience are 17, 35, and one against the spread. That's 32%, not a great clip, and 17 and 36 straight up since 2002. So when you combine all those factors and the fact that Tua Tagovailoa is making his first playoff start on the road in sub-freezing weather, it just feels like a really tough spot for the Dolphins. And here's the thing. Normally, I'd be a little nervous to lay four and a half, you know, that much line movement. I believe it opened at three, three and a half. Now it's all the way up to four and a half. But the thing about the Dolphins is they have been so bad against playoff teams. This year, I think they have one one win against a playoff team and a points differential of negative 91. So, you know, the numbers are saying maybe the number doesn't matter here. Should be an easy win for Kansas City. Makes me a little nervous what we've seen from Kansas City so far this season. But by process of elimination, it feels like you can't go with the Dolphins here. Yeah, I I agree. And I think the Chiefs want to run it. And the Dolphins are down a million linebackers. I I haven't seen the Isaiah Pacheco prop yet. But I'm almost just like going to auto bet it no matter what it is. I, I think the Chiefs... It was the Bengals game, and it's it's been a little bit of a trend. It just makes sense that they run the ball in this in the weather against the Dolphins. With I mean, they're signing guys off the street right now. It just feels like a Pacheco smash spot. Yeah, sixty four and a half feels like a gettable number. Like oh, you said, yeah. the weather's going to be yes. bad. Um, so I think I am on board with you. I have already seen some people talk about that bet, so I don't think you're alone. But it does feel like the very obvious play especially if you think Kansas City's winning, you know, and they're in a positive game script. So I think that's a really good call. I will definitely be tailing you on that over 64 and a half. That is a great call. Hey, Chelsea, and it'll probably go ahead, Tommy. Sorry. uh, Do you think that there are opportunities uh, with player props with the Dolphins in this game or because the weather is projected to be as bad as it is and we know how Miami typically plays in cold weather situations? Is that a stay away kind of situation? Yeah, it doesn't look attractive. I feel like I would rather put my money elsewhere because we even have some indoor games uh, where weather will not be a factor at all, and especially for some teams that have been leaning heavily on the pass because we do have a lot of pass-heavy offenses uh, taking place this weekend. You look at the Browns going against the Texans. The Texans' secondary has given up the eight most passing yards to opposing quarterbacks, and we've seen it. Joe Flacco in that offense has turned into a pass heavy offense. So maybe that's where you look. You look at maybe Amari Cooper. I know he's been banked up. David Njoku has been uh, a matchup nightmare for some of these teams down the stretch. I also like the Browns in that game. Land two and a half. Not a huge fan of taking road favorites, 
but it just feels like the Browns are the overall better team. And I brought up that stat against uh, quarterbacks making their first playoff start against quarterbacks who have playoff experience. Uh, Joe Flacco has a lot of experience when it comes to the playoffs. He's won a Super Bowl. We know he's elite. And that's the running joke. I'll be on the Browns. feels like they're the better team. And plus, C.J. Stroud's been a great story, but he has to go against the Browns secondary, who's given up the second fewest passing yards to opposing quarterbacks. So, uh, like the Browns, on the road there. I, one more from the Chiefs game, Chelsea. And we talked about this one yesterday. And it feel again, like when we talk about bets to let, Harrison Butker's even money, or he was yesterday, at plus one and a half field goals. Talk about the style. Talk about the weather. He's been so good this year. Field goals feel good there to me for Butker if we're looking for more props. What is the total points prop? Because there are more than one ways uh, that you can The total field goal points. I'm not sure. That's a good question. I think it was six and a half. I believe six and a half was the last time I, I saw that. So that would be – you do need some field goals to get that, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah. Uh, I would need to do some further research, but I think you need to look at the wind maybe because um, obviously that can affect the field goals. Um, I don't have a strong read there, but, of course, you know, when weather's bad, you wouldn't normally lean that way. But the Dolphins have given up a lot of points. You know, like I said, points differential minus 91 against these top-tier teams. So maybe the Chiefs are able to punch it in. I think I like the Pacheco one a little bit better. I did, so four out of six games, he's he's had at least two. Um, I, I think it's it's kind of like the Pacheco one for me. It's just the style that the Chiefs are willing to play now. They're willing to not go for it on fourth and three and just take a field goal because their defense has been so good. It's taken all season, I think, for them to get there. Uh, but, yeah, just – just one that, yeah, I'll be curious to hear any research you find on that because to us here it seemed like, oh, yeah, Butker two field goals. Like that's that seems like it's in the Chiefs' DNA now. Uh, play good defense and kick field goals. Yeah, here's the sabotage factor. Uh, I think a good stat to look up for field goal kicker stats, the red zone scoring percentage, and this is based on touchdowns. Miami is not one of the better Red zone defenses. In fact, they rank bottom five in the NFL at giving up those touchdowns when in the red zone. So usually I like to play those field goal props when you're going against those really good red zone defenses. Uh, My Tennessee Titans are one of those. They led the NFL this year in red zone scoring percentage. So maybe that's the the sabotage factor because, you know, two field goals is not nothing. So uh, I'm a little torn there. I think the game that I'm most excited for this weekend, the Rams and the Lions, Matthew Stafford mm-hmm. returning back to Detroit. And that, I, I don't know, as I'm looking at the games that uh, you know are, are going to be played this weekend, that's the one that stands out to me as maybe the most potential for the underdog to win outright. What do you think about that? I mean, do, do you like the Rams on the money line, or is there another angle to look at? Oh, yeah. Uh, this is one that we were talking about earlier. I'll be on the Rams plus three. The sabotage factor is this is a very public bet. Uh, I think there are a lot of people taking the Rams as short underdogs here. But there's another interesting angle, I think, in this game. And BetMGM has playoff-long player props. And you can bet who has the most receiving, rushing, and so forth for all of the playoffs. So this is multiple handicaps kind of built into one. I think you look at Puka Nakua here. Because if you think the Rams can win this game outright and go on a little run, this is a pass-heavy offense. And the price you're getting on Puka Nakua 
30 to 1. The favorite, of course, CeeDee Lamb. We know he's going to get his yards. The Cowboys probably the best quote-unquote team uh, that doesn't have that first-round buy. Um, but still, I think Puka Nakua, 30 to 1 to have the most receiving yards in the postseason. I kind of like that bet. Yeah, it's. I'm glad you brought that up. So there's fantasy football leagues now that people are getting into, and, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, trying to nail who will get the most games, right? Like that bet you're just mm-hmm. talking about. Do you how many? So when you look at that, I mean, do you do you favor? I suppose the teams that get wild card games and hope that they make it all the way through. Do you go back to a team like San Francisco who maybe appears to have an easier path? And and you know somebody you know might might I I don't know that that I've, I'm fascinated by that now these playoff leagues or these futures bets where it's totaling because it's not like you can just take the best player on the best team you got to factor in how many games you think they're going to play. Oh, for sure, and that's the difficult part about it. But I think the other factor that you need to consider which teams, especially for the passing ones, which teams are playing indoors because weather is definitely going to be a factor. And some of these games right now at that MGM, Tyreek Hill is the second shortest odds to have the most receiving yards in the postseason, which is kind of confounding to me because he's going to be playing in the worst conditions and his team is not a favorite. So I know he's one of those guys that can certainly put up, you know, 200 plus yards in a game. It just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I think you look at either the team that you think is going to, you know, go the furthest or the teams that have a shot that will be playing against past susceptible defenses and playing possibly indoors. Because there's a couple. There's the Browns and the Texans, and there's the Lions and the Rams. So I think you start from there. How much are you concerned by the Eagles, the way that they ended the regular season and then entering the playoffs on the road, taking on the Buccaneers? I know that the Bucks really haven't looked incredible the last few weeks. Uh, are you concerned about the Eagles long-term? Do you think that they can get through this wild-card round fairly easily and get things figured out? Or is there a real level of concern and issues there? I think there is some tension on the sidelines, and we've seen it, which means I have no desire to be playing the Eagles as favorites on the road here. And it just feels like a Bucks team that's kind of been over, uh, undervalued all season long. Uh, their their odds to win the NFC South entering the season were 6-1. to one. They were plus 600 to win the NFC South, and they did it. Their win total was either 4.5 or 5.5. So clearly it's a team that is uh, going past their expectations. They have good players on that team. I think people don't want to bet on Baker Mayfield, and I get it. You know, he has been a roundabout guy in the NFL for a reason. But still, I don't think the Eagles are a team you put your faith in. I think I'm going to leave that game alone and maybe consider the over because the Eagles secondary has been really bad from a fantasy perspective. You always play the receivers going against the Eagles. And the Bucks do have some really good receivers, Mike Evans, uh, Chris Godwin. Uh, so I feel like they have an offense that is built to possibly put up some points on the Eagles. And we know if the Eagles can get it together, offensively speaking, they have guys that can do the same. So maybe the over is the only play there, but as far as the spread goes, I don't think I'm touching that one. All right, Chelsea, what else out there do you love, do you hate that we see this weekend uh, in Wild Card Weekend? I think there are two ones that are kind of tricky, and that's going to be the Steelers and the Bills game because obviously nobody wants to trust the Steelers' offense. But do you trust the Bills as double-digit favorites? 
This line is 10. This is a Bills team that kept it close, one by two over the Chargers, who had an interim head coach. They beat the Patriots at home by seven. And the Steelers just feel like one of those hard-nosed teams that even without T.J. Watt, which is a big part of their defense, it feels like a team that can keep it relatively close, especially when you see a total of 36. They're supposed to be 25 to 35 mile an hour wind gusts in Buffalo. The weather is supposed to be horrendous. So it just feels like a really high number to cover when the conditions are not supposed to be good. So I'd lean towards the Steelers, but again, going back to that metric, first first playoff quarterbacks going against quarterbacks with playoff experience only hitting at 32% makes me a little nervous. And then you've got the Cowboys laying seven and a half. Feels like that number is a touch inflated there we know the Cowboys are a publicly bet team and also a team that's been very good at home so far this season but I don't think I want to lay seven and a half especially with the red hot Packers team coming in with absolutely nothing to lose all right Chelsea we appreciate it thank you so much Uh, you can follow Chelsea on social media Uh, you can find her on the daily tip Happy wild card weekend. Now uh, we'll see who your Titans are going to hire in this just absolutely uh, insane coaching carousel that apparently bleeds into college football as well. Yeah, absolutely. Head spinning and then play on the way out. Weber State minus eight and a half in college hoops. Tonight. Okay, Weber State. We had a local tie to Weber State a few years ago. I I love it. I'm going to look at that. Chelsea, thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Thanks for having me. That was the host of the Daily Tip and Odyssey Sports Betting Insider, Chelsea Messenger Insider Calls, presented by BetMGM. Go check out all the latest lines today on the BetMGM app. Well, I called it a turd sandwich last night. I I stand by it. That was really disappointing for KU. We'll come back. We'll get into that. Tim Fitzgerald, our K-State Insider, coming next hour. Sports Daily rolling on a Thursday. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily here. Uh, Tommy, KU, ah, bless America, 65-60, they fall to UCF. No offense to UCF, but this is about KU. KU had no business doing that. They cannot shoot the three. Uh, they don't really try, and and you can't blame them either. But they've got to figure something out because this team is far from, maybe it's just a perceived ceiling at this point, I'm concerned, man, and I and I and my expectations for them were sky high this year, but it, this ain't it. Like, they've got to figure something out right now. There are always conference games for KU that are ugly and that end up, and this is like year after year after year, there will be a game or two that they shouldn't lose, but they do. I think the concerning factor for me, though, is that it happened this early in conference play. Usually it's a game like in February or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, they they have a night off and it looks really bad. But there are some concerning factors. A lack of production from the bench. I think that having a lack of a true number two uh, in their lineup, that fifth player, that has hurt them all season long. Uh, Because, you know, Bill Self loves his combo guards. He's always had really good combo guards, and he's been searching, trying to find who that person is. Marco Jackson, Nick Timberlake, uh, you know, Johnny Furphy, those guys. 
to kind of fill that role. And really nothing is working when it comes to that position. And so they lean on Kevin McCuller. They lean on Hunter Dickinson. But you know what? The turnovers killed them last night against UCF. And they just really, they lost their poise. It, it was a team that, you know, they were up by, what, 16 at one point, And then UCF came all the way back, took the lead, and won the game. UCF was the better team last night. It does highlight some issues with the Jayhawks. Yeah, it, well, it's what concerns me is they lost the game for the same reasons that they haven't, you know, been as good as we thought they'd be. And like, what what is telling us that will change? And that that part I don't know. I I don't know. Well, they need a shooter real bad. They need a shooter. Teams are going to zone them up because they can't shoot, which is what happened last night. And then what happens, right? Like, then what do you do? And I and I just don't know what the solution is, and I think that's what has me most concerned. I, I mean, is it that somebody just all of a sudden does start to shoot well? Is it that they, you know, they took 18, 18 threes, like the, I think, last night, which is going to be fine, 18 to 20, but you got to make more than six of them. You know, you, they just have to have that element if they're going to win a national championship. And I say, like, when I use the term, turd sandwich it's because it's like this should be i think a national championship type team when you consider what they brought back when you consider they have two players on the you know top 25 wooden mid-season watch list when you consider they got the prize of the transfer portal everything that we think about tells you this should be a team that can win a national championship i'm falling off of that a little bit I, I just don't know that I see it right now. Right now, they are very predictable. You know when you watch them, the way that they're going to generate their offense is through McCuller and Dickinson, and then a secondary option is probably K.J. Adams. You know that Dewan Harris doesn't want to shoot. You know that there really is no production from the two. They're predictable. The only silver lining is that there's not a super team in America right now. There's just not. Purdue lost. True. That's Houston a good point. lost. Kansas. There wasn't lost. last year Tennessee either. This lost. could be a yeah. This could be a transfer portal thing. Look, there wasn't that team last year either. But when KU holds the opponent to sixty-five points, yeah, they have to win those yeah, games. You're they right. have to. You're right. I mean, and, and that's we'll see. Look, it's Bill Self. He's the best in the business. I'm sure they'll get better. I'm I'm certain they'll get better. But what I don't, I just don't know if better is going to be good enough. And that's what I'm starting to like. Man, I just felt so good about this team coming into the year. And they're not there, not even close. And and we'll see. I don't know. Maybe it's just a one-off. It's just hard when you see UCF lose by 25 to K-State. And KU, like, got out and I don't know. We'll, we'll get more into it in the next hour. When we come back, our K-State insider, Tim Fitzgerald, joins us. All broadcaster Sports Daily coming back right after this. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Kester. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. He's got all the insight of what you want to know and maybe some of what you don't want to know. Here's K-State insider Tim Fitzgerald. All right, we welcome in Fitz. Uh, you know, it's an interesting day in the sports world, interesting 48 hours, Fitz. I, I think that we nobody would have predicted that Carol Belichick, Saban, three Hall of Famers, three widely considered best that have ever done it coaches would all leave in a, you know, what a 12-hour span, the coaching industry. But my goodness, how are you? Belichick, dude, how did I miss that? Yeah, that happened overnight. That happened overnight. That's what I get for not being on social media (laughs) 24-7. I told my wife, I can't leave Twitter at any moment or I'll miss something. And she said, oh, you're addicted. I'm like, I'm not addicted. I just get the shakes. Yeah. Anyhow. It's it's a wild day. Don't you think, as somebody who covers college football, even with those two NFL legends, don't you think Saban's – you know, after, you know, trimmer, aftershock, everything will be much larger than the two NFL guys to the industry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And this is something we got into uh, on the Pyrocat podcast yesterday. It's available on podcast platforms, and now YouTube, you get to see my ugly face, um, which isn't a great thing. But anyhow, uh, I think this is related to Transfer Portal and NIL. I've heard so many coaches say, this has turned them into almost like a professional general manager that's also the head coach and how exhausting it is. And they didn't sign up for this. They, they're in college for a reason um, and not handling, you know, the egos of payroll at the pro level. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of this going on in college athletics as they kind of readjust the generational changes in head coaching, um, people that are ready to deal with this. Uh, you know, as far as the NFL guys, uh, great coaches retire or move on or or peter out. Um, they, they just they do. It's just kind of the nature of, of any profession. Uh, and they've had their moment in the sun. It's time to move on. And I thought Nick Saban probably had a few more years in him, but I think he's just tired of all the BS that's gone on with college athletics that has, has changed head coaches' lives more than anyone else. Do you think this is the end of the Alabama dynasty? I think it'll, uh, if you're Texas, uh, you are very happy right now uh, because there's no way anyone replaces him, at least not right now. I mean, I, I just can't imagine being the next guy. Alabama's going to have to pay so much money to, you know, commend someone to come be the next guy. Uh, and maybe the thought is that I'm going to pick up the program from Saban. There's no better time than right now. But 
guys at the transfer portal, if, if they don't act quickly, they're going to be um, just in big trouble. Uh, the, I mean, these players have 30 days to leave, uh, and how many will? <clears throat> I mean, the entire SEC is about to go shopping. Anyone with a big NIL budget is about to go shopping. So, yeah, this could be a real threat to Alabama and what it's been. But, you know, we talk about the impact of coaches. Uh, I read this stat last night, and I had never seen the hard numbers. I knew what impact it had. When he took over at Alabama, they had 25,000 students. They were the size Mm -hmm. of roughly Kansas State University. And now they've got 40,000 students. And they've gone from a primarily Alabama-centered student body to a majority of their students are from out of state paying that tuition. It has had such an impactful change on the entire university, the town, and let's be honest, the conference, the college football, it's, it's hard to measure what Nick Saban's done to, you know, impact everything around him in a positive way. So t- I use that example that you just brought up, Fitz, all the time of why coaches are paid as much as they're paid and in comparison exactly. to everything else. And I'm like, well, they get paid that much because they're worth it. So just tuition alone, just tuition, if you took the average of in-state and out-of-state at Bama, it's about $20,000. Multiply it by that 25,000 additional students now every single year, right? They get 25,000 more than they did before every year. It's $500 million. $500 million. If you look at that tuition increase, you know, just on like some real rough numbers and averages. I've used that forever as why these coaches get paid that because they're worth that. And Nobody will replace Saban. Nobody's going to replace him on the field. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to replace him off the field. You mentioned go shopping. Let's take it to K-State. If if it's open market now for Alabama players, shouldn't K-State be in that business? Yeah. I mean, everyone will. But I, I know the SEC there, you know, it's going to be a feeding frenzy. They've got a lot of NIL money down there to throw around. Um, and it's, it's going to get pretty interesting pretty quickly. I would imagine – uh, Alabama has a plan in place. I saw some Dan Lanning talk last night. I don't know if there's any real energy towards that, uh, but it, they, they better get someone quickly to, to stem the flow into the transfer portal because it's, it's going to get ugly at Alabama real quick. Let's shift gears, Fitz, and talk a little K-State basketball. <laughs> the Wildcats on the road at West Virginia uh, the other night, and you know they, it was a battle for a while, and, and it's we we all know that playing in Morgantown is, you know, diff- definitely a difficult place to play regardless, you know, of the way that their program is performing. So what did you take away from that game? Uh, Wildcats were able to come back and, and ultimately get the win. Um, it seems like a pretty quality win on the road in Big 12 play. Well, first, shout-out to West Virginia fans. Their team's 5-10, and 10, and there was 10,000 people at that game, and it was loud. Um, they just love their hoops. Uh, they'll get it going again. Uh, that's been speaking of awkward transitions here from a legend to, you know, a K Stater and Josh Heidler, but boy, uh, I don't envy Josh and what he's handling right now with all the stuff, but I thought K State played really solid. And I mean that as a compliment, I, I they, they didn't play the top of their game. They just went out and, and got things done. Then they didn't, you know, make enough mistakes to let a West Virginia team win. They figured out what was ailing them in the first half and solved it at halftime. I think these coaches are doing a great job of getting the most out of this roster. But here we are two games into the Big 12. Out of 14 teams, only three don't have a loss. 
and Kansas State plays the other two the next two weeks, next two games. Uh, so th- this conference is going to run out of unbeaten teams fairly quickly, and and maybe if K State can win Saturday in Lubbock, they'll be the one standing at the end. But uh, it's it's just going to be a brutal conference. And, and let's be honest too, K State's played UCF in Manhattan and and gone to West Virginia. Uh, that's about as uh, uh, easy as a start as you can get. But then again, we've seen what happens. Uh, Kansas goes to UCF and loses. This conference is a minefield, and that sucker's going to go off any time underneath you, and, and you just got to try to take the right steps and avoid getting blown up. Uh, I, I, I did, what's the ceiling, Fitz? I, I don't know. what What's the ceiling for K-State? I can't figure it. They look good now. No. I, I I argue that this this coaching performance by Tang is to this point in the season just as impressive as what he did last year because his team's not nearly as talented as it was last year. But I also like it. It, it makes me not know like what a proper expectation is at this point. And we're we're in the middle of January here. I feel like most of the time we should have an expectation right now. I don't have one for. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't. That's a great point. I'm I'm really not sure. I mean, Peng himself has tempered expectations by talking about getting to nine and nine in this conference, and that'll get him in the NCAA tournament. His eyes set on getting into the field because you can't win games in the NCAA tournament if you're not in the dang thing. So uh, his entire focus right now is getting his team into that and, and doing the things that they need to do. The schedule will get harder uh, at some point. I mean. They go to Tech, which is unbeaten. They come home and play Baylor. And they've got Oklahoma State in Bramlage, and another pretty winnable game. So <clears throat> you just keep plugging away, and, and, and maybe they can get to 10 and 8 in this conference. Uh, I just I don't see higher than that once they really get to cooking with Houston and Kansas. They got home and home with BYU, and it's just going to get very interesting for them as it goes. But, uh, I agree with you. I think Jerome Tang and his coaching staff have done a great job. Look at Cam Carter. He was a role player last year. We didn't even know how how good he could be, and and right now he's playing at all Big 12 levels. It's really impressive. You talked about the ceiling for the program. What do you think the ceiling for Tyler Perry is? One of eight from the field against West Virginia, of course, in Morgantown. We know about his shooting struggles all season long. I think the good news right now for the Wildcats is that they've been able to find production in other places. You mentioned Cam Carter, Arthur Kaluma, that sort of thing. Uh, but one of eight from the field. I mean, that's that's not that's not good, Fitz. What do you think the ceiling is yeah. for him as Big Twelve play rolls on? If he can get settled into his shot, I thought maybe after UCF he'd feel better about things. But um, he's seeing better defense. He's seeing more athletic defense. He's, he's handling different roles right now in terms of being the primary ball handler, <clears throat> which hasn't been easy for him. Um, but you go win by double digits on the road in the Big 12 and a player of the significance of Tyler Perry goes one of eight, that tells you you got another gear. I mean, that tells you that if he starts hitting his shots, uh, a lot of you know, at least seven possessions in the game are you know going to be different. And so I, I think that, that just is a sign of hope for K-State that if he really settles in and gets going, K-State could take this to a different level. But uh, they're – Oddly, they've adjusted to him not being a very good shooter, which is was not in the game plan at all. But that comes back to the good coaching we're seeing right now. 
All right, Fitz. So when we look at it then and we look at Perry, do you let him continue to try to shoot out of it? Or do you pull that mm-hmm. back a little bit if you're Tang? But if you had a alternative, you might pull him back a little bit, but you don't. I mean, he's got to be on the floor. Uh, you don't have that many natural scores. Cam Carter is becoming one. Arthur Kaluma certainly is one, but you know, David Kassan isn't really an offensive threat unless he's, you know, <clears throat> getting a good pass and laying it in and, and Will McNair has his moments, but uh, this team is well, not not necessarily going to run it through the post as much as other teams. That's not how they want to play. So, yeah, you got to have them going. And if, you know, if Day-Day Ames or, or someone else really got cooking, maybe you'd play him a little bit less or work around him. But right now you can't. you got to hope that he's in groove each night. Yeah, speaking of that, do you have any uh, major concerns with the the use of the bench for Jerome Tang? I mean, I know it's been a very tight rotation, and and even maybe not just the usage, but the production off the bench. The game against West Virginia, Finister was the only bench player that scored for the Wildcats. So as they continue to move on, and we've seen a lot of teams that over the years they've had success with tight rotations, but do you think that they need to see more production from the bench? Yeah, I think you will. I mean, I think you'll see some guys kind of earn their way in. You look at Gerald Colbert at West Virginia stepping up with, you know, a a really solid span of minutes there that probably gave the coaches more trust in his game. Um, But I I know some guys are are fighting in practice for those minutes. We'll see if anyone emerges. Now, credit to Dorian Finister, though. I don't think any of us really thought he would be in the main rotation, let alone a tight rotation, but there he is. And whoever thought that Dorian Finister would be playing above the rim, but all six of his points at West Virginia were off dunk. Uh, so he's gaining some confidence, and, um, you know, he's not going to be an all-Big 12-level player, but he doesn't do much wrong. He does a lot of stuff right, and um, as he really settles in and begins to play basketball i think he's got a pretty pretty high ceiling i mean he's not gonna be a superstar but he's gonna be a pretty good player fitz uh, real quick before we let you go ku loses last night the big 12 houston loses to iowa state it it looks like absolute chaos is that does that make you does that encourage you or does that scare you as a k-state subscribe well just kind of scares me because um, we all know how tough the Big 12 has been, and now you throw new ingredients in. We knew Houston was going to be good, uh, but all of a sudden BYU and Cincinnati and, oh, yeah, Oklahoma uh, are playing at a higher level. Uh, this conference is crazy, guys. I I feel for some of these coaches. You know, I, I imagine this will be Mike Boynton's last, in, uh, last season in Stillwater and He's a good dude, man. He's a good basketball coach, but he just hasn't been able to get enough traction. And uh, this this conference is relentless, unforgiving, uh, and is a literal basketball minefield. Uh, you got to watch your step and get through the process. And uh, someone's going to win this conference at the end of the season. Chances are it'll be Kansas, but uh, it's, it's going to be a really fun journey to see who can survive this process. All right, Fitz. Well, 
Uh, enjoy the day. Enjoy the basketball as we have the you know the football ripple effects here. I, I does feel like basketball season's coming into full swing. What do you guys have going at uh, Go Power Cat? Well, I mentioned the podcast that went up. Um, we we did our first regular full fledged podcast, uh, and now this will be a new thing on YouTube as we've tricked out the studio with a bunch of cameras and. Um, I, I thought there would be some changes as we go, but I thought it was good. I think people enjoy that. And uh, just we're keeping our eye on the portal. We expect some things to break loose here pretty soon. And, um, I, if I'm a kid in the portal right now trying to decide, now that Alabama both players might be hitting the portal, I might make up my mind real quick and, and get this done up. So now that the portal's closed uh, for most players, they can't enter the portal. Um, Alabama can because they got a 30-day window after coaching change. Uh, I think things might start moving in the portal for everyone. I want to see if anybody wants to come play with Avery Johnson. That might be yeah. overstating things, but I'm curious. I'm curious. I, I think settling the coaching will help too. Knowing who's going to be playing the calling the plays and and kind of running things on the offensive side will really help them out quite a bit. We'll see it. All right, Fitz, you can follow him at GoPowerCat.com at Life of Fitz on social media. Uh, let's talk again next week as there's more chaos, I'm sure, in Big 12 basketball. Thanks, boys. Sounds good. There goes Tim Fitzgerald. Uh, you can find that Go Power Cat podcast that Tim mentioned there, by the way, on the Odyssey app. Uh, so be sure and check that out. It is the GoPowerCat.com PowerCat podcast, latest bowl and transfer portal news, as well as men's and women's basketball all season long. Follow PowerCat podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Tommy and I will come back. We'll catch our breath a little bit, reset things a little bit. These just mega nuclear headlines in the coaching industry that are coming. Uh, maybe a little bit more on KU, or maybe we just wash our hands of it and move on with our lives. We'll talk about all of it, though. The KFH hotline is open. We'll give away some HTO before the end of the program, so stay tuned for that opportunity to win. Jad Chambers, man in that, uh, that uh, KFH hotline for you. We'll be back with more Sports Daily right after this. All right, welcome back in, everybody. Sports Daily here on KFH. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster alongside you. Glad to be here with you. Having some fun on a Thursday because there's plenty to talk about. So we hit on Nick Saban. Now you've got Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick fired. Tommy, is, did Pete Carroll get fired? I don't understand that one. I think it was a mutual decision between the organization and Pete Carroll. That's the way it was characterized. Hmm. But he's been, but it's being said like he may stay with the organization. Yeah. So we don't consider Pete Carroll like a candidate for another job, right? No. Whereas Bill Belichick is clearly a candidate for other jobs and will very likely get one. Um, I, I think Belichick makes the most sense for a team that feels like they have a good roster and a chance to win. Not a team on a rebuild, certainly, just only because of his age and because he hasn't particularly handled that well in New England. Um, I, I still say Atlanta makes a ton of sense. I think Washington does make some sense, uh, although they just they have to get this quarterback right. But you can go to Atlanta 
inherit a team, they do need to solve quarterback. But if you could bring Belichick and a veteran quarterback in there, uh, like let's say they could make a run at Kirk Cousins or something like that, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, they do have some good players. They have a decent defense. They play in a weak division. Atlanta makes it, it makes the most sense, and they have an owner who isn't afraid to go pay. So, I mean, it's Arthur Blank. He's one of the one of the good owners, I think. Yeah, and I think that you know the fact that he's going to be coming into a, an organization if he ends up in Atlanta, where the the talent level is a clear upgrade from what he had in New England. That's going to benefit Belichick as well. I'm interested to know if he does end up with Atlanta, what kind of influence or control he'll have over player personnel. I don't know exactly what that looks like. And if he'll be given the keys to be able to run the draft and run free agent signings and and that sort of thing, contract negotiations and all of that, you know, or if that's really, he's done with that part of his career and he moves on to just being a coach for the Falcons or, you know, somewhere else, if he ends up, you know, landing somewhere else, that's going to be interesting to know what kind of influence and what kind of role he will have outside of just being a head coach at his next stop. Yeah. And, and, you know, look, the chargers probably make the most sense, but I just don't think they're going to pay their coach. Like Belichick will get paid. I, I, if they did though, that probably is the spot that makes the most sense because you don't have a question at quarterback. You could you could leave Kellen Moore there, although I don't think he did a very good job this year. But you could leave him there, just get more out of the defense, and be a much, much, much better in-game coach, uh, of which Belichick is one of the best, right? And Staley was one of the worst I think we've ever seen. So that makes them—I just don't think they're going to pay him. I don't, I don't think they'd pay a coach like that. Yeah, I get that, and I understand the the thought process, but you're you're not talking about a, a normal run of the mill coaching vacancy or coaching opening. You're talking about Bill Belichick. You know, he's won the most championships out of any head coach in NFL history. He's won more playoff games than any other head coach in NFL history. So, I think that organizations that are going to be interested in Bill Belichick and the Falcons, it looks like, are probably one of them you might have to kind of adjust your expectations because it's not like you're going and, you know, hiring a coordinator, you know, or an up-and-comer or something like that. You're hiring one of, if not the greatest NFL head coaches of all time in Bill Belichick. And so that's really the intriguing part to me is what level of control and influence would an organization like the Falcons or the Chargers or any of them be willing to hand as, over to Bill yeah, Belichick at this much. point. Not much. You hire him as a coach. Um, I, I don't know what Atlanta does in their front office. The Chargers will be looking for a GM uh, as a part of their process. He, I've come around to this, too. I, I think the most attractive it, – it, it's hard. It's hard to, to – like the most attractive decision to make – to me, is if you can get, like, because some of these teams need synergy, right? And if I'm a team looking at what I would do, in an ideal world, I think the best thing for any team to do, like if you could just do whatever you wanted, would be to take Will McClay, who is being interviewed for a lot of these spots. That's the Cowboys' director of player personnel. So, for, for a, a long time ago, I don't know, probably in the mid to late 2000s, I think it was, Jerry Jones finally gave 
away, like, you know, drafting play. Like, he he stepped back from that. Now, he's still involved. But they they have Will McClay there. I mean, the Cowboys have not missed on an early-round draft pick other than Taco Charlton in forever. They are as good as there is in the league now at, at evaluating players. So Dan Quinn, you know, Jerry Jones has been able to keep him there by just, you know, whatever luck he's been able to do and paying him and all these things. Like if I'm a team like the Chargers or really, if I could get McClay and Dan Quinn, I am I'm, I'm, I'm sort of think that that's my ideal, you know, scenario. Just, you know, they work well together. You know, they have a good relationship. That has to be a part of why Dan Quinn has stayed there. Like, if you know that synergy exists, you're getting an experienced coach who's been to the top before, who's been a candidate, who's been, you know, you know, at that position. The so experience would, is there. You would throw a defensive coordinator in an L.A. to work with Justin Herbert? It depends on what it is. And it dep- I would have one conversation quickly on, like, it, it did, did Herbert feel good with Kellen Moore there? And I would hate to switch. The problem is going to be you hate to switch coordinators again. Yeah. For Justin Herbert. And and I know it didn't go well. And, I, and I've never been like, and I thought Kellen Moore would work there, but I've never been as high on Kellen Moore as I think the, the masses. But as long as you see progress there, I would hate to switch the offense up again on Herbert. I, I think like at some point he's got to have some consistency. Is it better though to bring in somebody that can run an effective offense for Justin Herbert well, now? Or to stick with a mediocre offensive coordinator I don't know. for the sick of not changing yeah, it to, up. I'd have to have that conversation with Justin Herbert, I think. Um, I, here's the other. And they had some injuries, again, because they always do, that I think impacted that greatly. But the other thing about that scenario I just laid out, Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore and, and Will McClay, they have a relationship that goes way back anyway. So, again, synergy, right? Like, you know you could be – and I'm not saying the Cowboys are like this beacon – but I do think that Dan Quinn is a better in-game coach probably than Mike McCarthy for what he's done over his career. And if you can get McClay, like that to me, and look, I would take McClay with any, like, I, you know, he's, he to me, like the Cowboys, I'm just, you know, and, and Dan it's Quinn. It's not Jerry Jones anymore. It's, where, it's this guy that's led this, you know, this massive yeah. overhaul of them getting all their picks right. Where it does make a little bit of sense for Dan Quinn in LA is that there are a couple of dominant playmakers on that Chargers defense Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, there's a couple of others that are there that I'm sure Dan Quinn would love to work with. The the problem is outside of that, the Chargers defense, and this you know was Brandon Staley part partly his doing. Uh, you go back in time, Anthony Lynn was part of it too. Their GM, who's no longer part of the organization, was part of this where they brought in some big name, high profile defensive players, and really. None of them hit. I mean, Khalil Delphi. Mack, I guess. I know. Yeah. But, you know, He's like... Been, J- Khalil Mack's been a game yeah. record. But, but, but Jason Jackson didn't work out. Kyle Van Noy yeah. didn't work out. Like, they brought in some some guys that they thought would make this a really dominant defensive unit. So, really, outside of Bosa and Mack, really, you don't have a whole lot on that defense. You should never have a defense that includes those two players, Bosa and Mack, that isn't elite. Yep. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And I would think you, that you, would mean, make you, Dan Quinn excited to potentially go there. Absolutely. I just yeah. wonder, with the development of Again. Justin Herbert, do you want to bring in a head coach that has a lot of experience in working with quarterbacks? That might be a better option for the Chargers to pursue. I do, too. Problem with the Chargers, they're not going to pay any of these people. Dan, Penn's, Dan Quinn's going to get paid, too, because Jerry Jones will just keep paying him. So it, it, the Chargers' dilemma is... 
do they continue to go the thrifty route and find some young assistant that may not be being interviewed anywhere? Uh, or do they, you know, pony up and go do probably what the right thing to do is. And, and look, it may be an offensive coach. I, I have no problem with redirecting toward Justin Herbert. I, I mean, you don't want to let that go. I just don't know. You'd have to have that conversation with Herbert. I mean, you'd have to ask him, like, what did you think of Kellen Moore? Do you think this is headed in the right direction or not? I mean, I, I don't know. Um, so we got all these openings now. It looks like, I mean, the Raiders haven't made their call. I would think Pierce gets a shot. Um, which is interesting because I think he's done a really good job. And I think he has sort of that factor that we've seen out of Mike Vrabel and Mike Tomlin, right, where you just have this connection with players that seems legitimate and bona fide. And, you know, it, that that is a thing in the – Pete Carroll. I mean, Pete Carroll's a poster boy for that, by the way, like who is connected with players. That's what's made his run so remarkable is uh, his advanced age, even though he doesn't look like it. Yeah, That's always amazed me too. Like, we know this now because it's been talked about, but if you lined them up and watched them on the sideline, nobody would think that Pete Carroll's the oldest coach in the NFL. Nobody would. No. And, and he, but he is, and that's what, you know, so I, I, I'm, I'm disappointed he's done. And I've come around to Pete Carroll, too, by the way, because I hated USC uh, for those years. Like that, you know, I was a Notre Dame fan as a kid. Like, I just, they, that, I hated them. And then he goes to Seattle. I didn't love him, or hate, but I've totally come around. Like I, Pete, Pete Carroll's awesome, and I'm pretty surprised that he. But but he's 72, man. Like, yeah. what are you gonna do? <laughs> like, what, I don't like, know. What, what are you supposed to do? He drives me crazy. And he looks like he could do it till he's 80. He drives, I know, but he's he, incredible. He's always His me energy crazy. is incredible, uh, and that, His, that, that's what drives me crazy. And he wears me out, and I'm not even the one that has the energy. And it's not even just. I mean, you can point at the gum chewing and all of that. It's the fact that when the camera is on him, he's constantly moving. Like, I feel bad for the camera operators that have to stay on Pete Carroll game after game after game because he's just pacing down the sidelines. And it just is this frenetic energy. And I know a lot of the players react to it. They respond well to it. He's, he's definitely built a culture of energy with Seattle. That Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll marriage worked really well for a number of years. Um, you know, I, I think that Carroll, the one thing, and I mentioned it at the top of the show, that is so, um, I think, legendary about Pete Carroll and the way that he's set apart from Saban and Belichick with these announcements. He's had success in both college and the pros. That's really unheard of. That doesn't happen Hardly at all. There are so many well, different no, times that college coaches I don't think anybody's make that. done it better. Jim Harbaugh, not to that extent, because Harbaugh wasn't in the NFL for very long. He'll have a chance to do that if he goes back to the NFL. But time in and time out, there are so many high-level elite college coaches that try to make that jump to the NFL, and it just doesn't work. As we watch these three guys go out on the same day, Carroll is sort of the combination. Yeah, He's done it at the highest yep. level. In both places, Jim Harbaugh was good. Co- he hadn't won a Super Bowl. I mean, Carroll's the guy. Like, and that's what and that's what amazes me too. He'll never. And it, it's part. I, I don't know what it is. They were supposed to be the worst team in football last year, and they were what nine and eight. Yep. Like they, he he will not be elevated. And we're not going to say we're everything's going to be about Saban. Everything's going to be about Belichick. I get it. But what Carroll's done over his career to me is equally impressive. Because he's done it both places, and nobody else gets to do that. Well, right? It, We're seeing these three guys who are unicorns. Yeah. All three of them and are you know unicorns. What? All the attention, and rightfully so. And this is not a knock on Saban. It's not a knock on Belichick. All the attention is going to those two, 
and Pete Carroll is stepping down also and leaving. And there are only three coaches in the history of football that have won both a national championship and a Super Bowl. Jimmy Johnson, Barry Switzer, and Pete Carroll. There's only three of them. Belichick didn't do it. Saban didn't do it. Nobody else has done it. Pete Carroll has. He's not really getting the attention with the with these announcements. I mean, really definitely outshadowed by Belichick and Saban. Yeah. I would put Jimmy Johnson up there with him. I would not put Barry Switzer up there with him. Um, you know, Johnson and 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 Carroll built it on their own. Switzer certainly did in college, but he inherited one of the great rosters of all time when when they Cowboys got that third Super Bowl. And that's not a knock on him. I just think as we're stacking it up, I, I think it's Carroll and Jimmy Johnson. And then, you know, I, I love the accomplishment for Switzer, but I'm not sure I'm going to call him one of the greatest coaches. I mean, he was a really yeah. good college And Jim coach, Harbaugh but. has a shot now with the national championship with Michigan. You know, he's, he's made a Super Bowl appearance. NFL, so there's only five coaches that have won a national championship and made an NFL uh, Super Bowl appearance. So those three that we talked about, Jim Harbaugh and Bobby Ross, those are the only five. Uh, and so, you know, Harbaugh's got the opportunity to join those three in winning a Super Bowl. Uh, and then, you know, he'll be up there at that, you know, that same kind of level. What a coach. Like, I know that we get tired of retreads in the NFL. There may not be a lot of new blood getting head coaching opportunities yep. in the NFL this offseason because some of the candidates out there, you're just like, well, yeah, you got to hire that guy. And going back right? to Belichick for a second, Ooh. I mean, with the roster that it, let, let's say he goes to Atlanta with the roster that Atlanta has, I know they need to figure out quarterback. And I don't think it's out of the question that Belichick could take the Falcons back to the Super Bowl. And, I, you know, he's not going to be there forever. You know, I could maybe see him coaching another five years or so, but I think they've got the personnel to be able to build it and 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 have him give his influence as the head coach, he could take him back. Uh, that that could happen. So best case scenario would be Belichick and Kirk Cousins for two years, probably. Um, could that combination get with, you to a Super Bowl with B. John in the Robinson NFC? and Drake London, Tyler Algier, Kyle Pitts? They've got offensive weapons outside of quarterback. Maybe, maybe. But you got, I mean, it, more concerning than the Belichick angle there is you've got to get quarterback, right? Like you have to, and not like, I, I don't, you know, not some young up and coming, like you have to have a quarterback at that point. It's like not Justin Fields, right? If that was your trade partner, not, you know, one of those types of things. So it'd have to be like, for me, it'd have to be, it almost have to be like Kirk Cousins. Like he's the only one that you could just plant in there that you know with a good offensive line and some weapons, will will torch that. So he's doing. He was gonna. If Kirk Cousins stayed healthy this year, Tommy, like he may have been the MVP. As we've watched the MVP race play out, he certainly statistically was in the conversation up to that point. Minnesota wins a few more games, they make the postseason, and he continues on that pace. He's probably the MVP this year. His offseason yeah. is fascinating. It's as it's as interesting as Justin Fields. This this NFL, my God, this NFL offseason is going to be just unbelievably interesting to watch and follow. Plus the fact that you have what's perceived as a really good quarterback class coming in by draft. Holy smokes. Remember we talked on Monday about how quiet it was with the NFL changes. Black Monday typically is pretty loud and not a whole lot happened. It's picked up pretty quickly as the week has gone on. 
Shame on us. Uh, yes, it has. The IHOP, uh, this, sorry, the KFH hotline is open, 869-1240. Uh, you can join KFH and the Wichita Thunder in the fight against cancer on Cancer Awareness Night. That's this Saturday, January 13th. Come out to Interest Bank Arena for the Gold A's Ice Charity Hockey Game to support a great cause, uh, which begins at 515 before the Thunder take on the Cincinnati Cyclones. Your admission to the game gets you into both events. You can find out more at wichitathunder.com. Last full segment of Sports Daily coming up next. All right, welcome back in, everybody, to Sports Daily. Let's go right to the KFH hotline. Dave wants to chime in quickly on KU. Dave, yikes, what's on your mind? Uh, Well, you echoed my sentiments a few minutes ago, only I came to that conclusion about two weeks ago. I've been watching KU for a long, long, long time, and by their standard, this team just isn't very good, and I don't think it's going to be – change very much when everybody knows they can pack in and and keep hunter and kj from getting the ball and nobody can shoot it outside and you turn it over 18 times a game that's not very good and i i think they're in for i think the talk of national championship needs to be put on the shelf and let's try to get in the top four of the league because i think that's going to be very difficult yeah, that's interesting. Look, I think the turnover thing, and I'm glad you brought that up because we didn't talk about it. That, I think, is correctable. I, I don't see this team by the end of the year as a heavy turnover team. I just don't know how much of a difference that's going to make in the overall outcome. Probably some, right? Like, I mean, And I think when you look at these margins, but is it going to make the difference of making them a national championship team? I think I think they're going to have to shoot better to be that. I think they can correct turnovers. I'm not sure they can correct three-point shooting. I agree 100%. I don't know where it's going to come from. And the, let me let me just say, I hope Bill Self stays there forever. The one criticism I might have is when he puts somebody in off the bench and they have to make a mistake in the first minute, minute and a half, they're right back out. That's hard to play, I think, as a player if you've got to look over your shoulder coming off the bench. And I I just wish he'd let them, let them fly a little bit and give them a chance to make, make up for that mistake or whatever. I'm just not sure that he's got a lot of options to go to, right? I mean, you know, it's not really worked with Nick Timberlake. It hasn't really worked with El Marco Jackson. Johnny Furphy's probably the best of the bunch coming off the bench, but even then the production is just not there. And so, you know, I, I can imagine there's quite a bit of frustration with trying to figure out who these bench players are going to be and what kind of production they're going to have. I have no argument there. I just think it's going to be a pretty long season for KU standards. And I think it's sad, but I think it's a reality. That's it. Yeah, it's fine. And and look, it's well, it's not fine because I think going into this, we all had the same thought returning, you know, basically 60% of your starting lineup adding the top transfer and and you know a couple blue chip five star type players it's like okay this feels like a national championship team just doesn't look like that right now that doesn't mean though it's not going to be an awesome and fun year because the big 12's going to make it an awesome and fun. it's going to be competitive it's going to be like intense i i think the experience will be enjoyable i just don't know 
whether it's too soon to lower the expectation hey, we had from the beginning I, of the season. I don't think it's going to be enjoyable. I texted you last night during the game. I'm like, this team doesn't cover. They don't ever cover. They it just. I think I saw they're like five and ten against the spread this season. They don't cover and they they don't blow teams out. It's not you know pretty to watch a lot of times. That's not really the way that they're 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 built. I think another thing to point out though, and you referenced it, but I don't think it's talked about enough, is the loss of Arterio Morris. And obviously, the things that happened with Morris, awful. Uh, terrible. He he's off the team for a good reason. All of that. It's all very true. But I don't think it's been discussed enough what the Jayhawks lack because they don't have him on the roster anymore. Because you've got a, a one of the top you know transfers that was planning on playing for your program at the two, then he's gone, and they don't really have anybody to fill that role. Yeah, and we appreciate the call, Dave. I, I just by enjoyable. I go back to what you said just a little bit ago, Tommy, about like enjoy these things while you have them. Enjoy the fact that Andy Reid is there. Enjoy the fact that Bill Self is there. But you said that, but I, I I don't feel like you've enjoyed this Chief season or you're enjoying this <laughs> KU season at all. And I think that you need to uh, because, like, less enjoyable is not relevant at all. And that's that's that sucks as a fan of any team. And so you, I think that you can, while not meeting the loftiest expectation possible for those two teams, which is a Super Bowl and a national championship, still appreciate the fact that Kansas City's a three-seed hosting another playoff game, and KU is likely going to finish as a top-10 team in the country. Like, let's let's bring a little bit of perspective back into it. You can still enjoy a season and not reach a championship. Yeah, that's, I, that's not fair. In regards to the Chiefs, though, uh, I have shifted out of my regular season mode into my postseason mode. They're 0-0. Right. Like it's one game yeah. at a time. kind of, And like during the regular season, things start to snowball and you're looking for changes and you're you feel like you're tr- the program is or the, the organization. You want them to look a certain way for the playoffs. Now we're there. We're in the playoffs now for Kansas City. They are who they are. Now you got to win one game at a time with the way the team is. There's no more building or growing to a certain point. You're there. And so my mentality has changed from regular season to postseason. It's just one game at a time type situation. With with KU, it's kind of the, the same way. I'm in the regular season swing right now where it's brutal and grinding and not fun. I don't really enjoy it. It's not something I sit back and like put my feet up and have a cocktail and enjoy watching the game. I don't like it. I don't like watching that team play the way that they did against UCF. It's not fun. I think that you're caught in the fever of the coaches that just left because you used O and O, one game at a time, <laughs> grind it out. You are who you are. On there were like Miami. nine coaching. Cl- on yeah, on to, you had like <laughs> nine coaching cliches in there. I, I appreciate the reference to these guys uh, stepping away a little bit. My little hat tip uh, sports- to Saban and Belichick. Yeah, there you go. Hey, HTO, let's give it away before the end of the show. Right now, first caller to the KFH Hotline 869-1240. We'll get a couple of brew house coffees from HTO at the East location in Wichita or in Derby. Jad will get us a winner. We'll come back, wrap it up right after this. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. 
Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.